I want to share with you about one of my favorite people in the entire Bible, and that's Thomas the Apostle. I believe that he is one of the most misunderstood and underappreciated people in all of Scripture. I'm going to explain why in two ways. First is the biblical account, what the actual gospels say about his life, and also I want to look at the history and legends, the writings of people that didn't make it into the Bible, but show the wonderful things that Thomas did for the Lord. Now first, we want to look at the biblical account. Now we need to know that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Thomas is only listed as being somewhere or being one of the 12 apostles. But in the Gospel of John, there are three stories that we're going to look at today that talk about things that Thomas did and said. Now there are several reasons why John might have been the only one that listed these stories. Maybe John knew Thomas better. They worked together more and John knew those stories. But also, we need to know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written first. They were written early and they were used around the world for ministry. But then later, about 30 years after those first three were written, John wrote his gospel. And I personally believe that John included these stories about Thomas because he knew the success of Thomas's ministry and he wanted to be sure and record the things that Thomas did with Jesus. Now we also need to know that the name Thomas in Greek is Didymus and they both have the same meaning. Both Thomas and Didymus both mean twin. So why was Thomas called this? Maybe he had a twin we don't know about this. The gospel doesn't tell us, but maybe he had a twin. Also, there are some legends that say that Thomas looked like Jesus. So sometimes people got them confused and they would walk up to the 12 and start talking to Thomas only to find out that he wasn't really Jesus. But also, some names are just names. Maybe his parents just liked the name and gave that to him without it having any significant meaning. We need to know this when it comes to the Old Testament and the New that every name comes from a word, but it doesn't mean that that word represents their entire life. We do have freedom. We get to choose. So even if your name means something bad right now, that maybe you can turn that around and become something good in the future. Now, we're gonna, let's look at the three accounts in John that talk about Thomas. The first one is in John 11. Now, this story happens from verse 1 to 16. So please, if you want to hear the whole thing, go and read that for yourself. But in this video, we're just going to look at the highlights and summarize each of these three passages which talk about Thomas. Now, this started, uh, Jesus and his followers were out in the countryside ministering, healing people, sharing the gospel, but then Jesus' good friend Lazarus had just died. So the, they, they're outside the, the city and they realize that Jesus' good friend Lazarus has died. So then Jesus said that he is going to Bethany. That's the city where Lazarus and his sisters lived. So Jesus has already said that he is going to that place. Now the problem is that the Jewish religious leaders at this time were already seeking to kill Jesus. They were wanted, they were hunting him, they were wanting to find him and kill him. So Jesus had already said he's going to go. And then in this story, we basically hear the, the followers of Jesus talking and they're making a decision what they're going to do. And then John records what Thomas says, and that's let us go and die with him also. 
So they're not sure whether to follow Jesus or whatever else to do. But then Thomas says, let us go and die with him also. Now, this, of course, leads to one of the great miracles of Jesus where he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And even when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So we see that Thomas is the one who said, basically, let's follow him, even if it means death. Now, when I look at this specific quote, I see humor, exaggeration, snark, and sarcasm. Now, I don't see Thomas as literally saying, let us go and die with him also. There's a lot of humor in this. Now, we need to know that most humor does not translate. When it comes to the Bible, it was written in Hebrew and Greek. And it's almost impossible to translate humor from one language into another, especially the subtle nuances of language. It's so difficult to translate. Now, the big picture, the general message from anything can easily be translated from one language to the next. But when you translate, you lose those small things like the poetry, the beauty, the nuance, and different types of humor, again, almost always get lost when you translate. And now I, I know this was a faithful statement because everyone does as he suggested. So again, when I picture this, I imagine them sitting there, they're weighing the pros and cons, whether to go with him, whether to try to stop Jesus or just to go ahead and follow him. I imagine the room is talking and Thomas just says matter of fact and with some humor. Well, if he's going to go, we might as well go with him, even if it means our death. So again, I see it's faithful. I see some humor. I see lots of good things in this story about Thomas. Let's go ahead and move on to John 14, 1 through 6. Now, we know that this is the beginning of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. This was the last time that Jesus taught his followers before the arrest and, the, and the, his death and then his resurrection. So these chapters, John 14, 16, and 17, are some of the greatest in all of scripture where Jesus shares about his divine nature, who he is, and what he expects from his followers, including prophesying about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this is the very beginning of this discourse. Now Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. So that he's just talking, and this is the very beginning of this. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. And then we hear Thomas says, we don't even know where you are going. How can we know the way? So again, if you don't know where someone's going, you don't know the way to get there. But then Jesus responds to him, one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, of course, we've all heard this verse. Many of us have memorized it, but most of us forget that it was Thomas who asked a question that led to this wonderful, wonderful saying of Jesus, where when we look at scripture, it's arguably the clearest statement of his divinity that Jesus ever makes. So when you see people that are skeptical and doubting, they often say that Jesus never claimed divinity. But when we read scripture, it's very clear, and especially here, maybe the most clear, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So again, one of the clearest statements of his divinity is right there. Now let's go to the third. 
And that's in John chapter 20. Uh, this is so the, the, the death on the cross had already happened and Jesus had just raised from the grave. And then we see that he saw and spoke to Mary and the other women. And then let's pick up the story in verse 19, where we see that the resurrected Jesus appears to all the disciples except Thomas. And he shows them his scars. He says, look at my hand, look at my side. This is uh, my way to prove that I have truly resurrected. Now, we need to know that at this time, just like some people often have around the world today, they believed that there were disembodied spirits. Sometimes we would call them ghosts or phantoms, where someone would, would have the appearance of a human, but it wouldn't really be that person, at least not in bodily form. So Jesus showed himself to be physical, to disprove that it was just his spirit, to show that he was truly bodily resurrected. He showed his scars on his hands and his side. Now again, Thomas wasn't there with the other disciples when that happened. But then when they told him about this, this was his response. He said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So then eight days later, we see that Jesus appears to everyone, including Thomas, and he specifically addresses Thomas and says, and says to him, come and touch my wounds. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So he did basically the same thing he did with the other disciples. And then Thomas, even though he said, I want to touch and feel, this was Thomas's response. He immediately fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. So again, we see that this is one of the most wonderful direct statements in all of scripture about Jesus' divinity. And how did Jesus respond to being, to being called God? He said, you have now believed because you have seen. Blessed are those who will believe without seeing. So he didn't condemn him, didn't say that it was a bad belief, didn't even call him unfaithful. He just said that this is a blessed belief and even more blessed for people who believe this without seeing. So when we look at this specifically, uh, this scripture specifically, the one where Thomas gets uh, uh, the, the name being called Doubting Thomas, we see that Thomas simply asked for the same thing that the other disciples had, to see Jesus in bodily form, to see the scars, to see the hand, to see the side. Now again, even when I look at this statement, I, I believe this included exaggeration and humor. I, I think Thomas believed, but he just wanted to see and touch and feel the real Jesus. He, he, and he didn't actually end up putting his hands in his side. So I believe, again, there's humor and exaggeration even in what he said. And then when we look again, he said, arguably the greatest affirmation of Jesus' divinity in all of the Gospels. And also, most scholars consider this moment the climax of the entire book of John. I made a video a while back outlining the, the gospel of John, and it shows that even John said that there are two points to his gospel, that you would believe that Jesus is God and that by believing in him, you would have faith, that you would have salvation in his name. So again, everything led up to his death and resurrection. And then this point where Thomas declares my Lord and my God is the high point, the climax of the entire book of John. 
And we see also from Jesus that there's absolutely zero condemnation when he said this and did this. So who are we to call Thomas doubting Thomas, even when, when Jesus had no, uh, no, no reason to condemn him? So what I see when I look at the life of Thomas, I see that he is inquisitive, that he wants to ask questions, that he wants to understand things, that he wants to see what's really happening, that he is practical that he wants to know how to put things into practice and how to actually follow what Jesus says. I believe that he is analytical, that he wants to think through and understand things, even planning for the future. Again, I believe that he had lots of humor in his writings that are generally lost in translation today. And I also see that he is faithful. I see that he was faithful in the Gospels, and in just a bit, I'll show you just how faithful he was even after Jesus went back to heaven. Now, I also want to step in and say that I absolutely love the way that the TV series, The Chosen, has presented Thomas. It says that, that Jesus is someone, I'm sorry, that Thomas was someone who wants to ask Jesus about everything, and he wants to understand, he wants to ask the questions, and really know what's going on. Now, if you have not watched The Chosen, I highly, highly recommend it. It's a long series. They say there are going to be seven seasons, but so far they've only made three. And they do a wonderful job of showing Jesus, especially his interactions with his 12 closest followers. And again, I love what they show about Thomas. Now, they take lots of, of, uh, of dramatic license and show things which are outside of the Bible. But again, I, I believe that everything that the, the TV series The Chosen shows is biblical and helps us to get a better understanding and a better appreciation of what life must have been like for Jesus and his followers. So also, when we look at Thomas, one of my favorite quotes is that when we seek truth, we find God. So don't ever stop asking questions. So when Thomas is seeking truth, when he's asking these questions, it leads to good things. And even when Jesus was able to show his divinity. Now, even again, two of the greatest affirmations of who Jesus was in all of the gospels. One was said to Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. And the other was said by Thomas, my Lord and my God. So again, two of the greatest things in the Gospels, one said to Thomas and one said by him. Now, again, that's what the biblical account shows. But now let's look at the history and the legends, the things that were written and recorded, but did not make it into, the, into what we have as the Bible today. Now, I just want to say that this is not on the same level as scripture. We know that the Bible is God's word. It all is truth. But there are many things that we can learn and apply to our lives from studying history, including this. Now, again, when I look at some groups of Christians, they probably put too much emphasis on the saints, too much emphasis on the people that have gone before us. But many of us also don't put enough. We don't learn enough from those who have gone before us. So there's a happy medium between giving too much and not giving enough to those who have come from us. Now we're going to look that Thomas was probably the most fruitful ministry of all the 12 apostles. He made it further. He probably started more churches and shared the gospel with more people than any of the other 12. Even the people that were closer to Jesus in his life, Thomas did more work 
after the book of Acts, after they were spread out, Thomas did so much. We see that he went about 7,000 kilometers, and that's 4,350 miles, all the way from Jerusalem to South India. So he made it all the way to India with the gospel. So when we look at that, that means that he went through Syria, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, and all the way through India. And maybe, according to some legends, we don't know whether he went through the Silk Road trails or whether he took some things by boat. But some legends even have Thomas going into Afghanistan and even China to plant the first churches and share the gospel for the first time. So when we look around the world, there are many in India and other places who still call themselves St. Thomas Christians. They trace their heritage all the way back to the to St. Thomas, who reached them within the first century. That's approximately 4 million people in India who still can trace their lineage back to him. So let's look at just a couple, even St. Thomas churches, which are still standing today. So here's St. Thomas Cathedral in Chennai, which is where, uh, where Thomas' life ended. We also see this one from the outside of the, the of St. Thomas Church in Mumbai. And we also see this, uh, this is the inside of that church in, in Mumbai. Now, my favorite, my personal favorite, it might not be as beautiful, but there's a St. Thomas Church in Mosul, Iraq. Here's the outside, so you see the gate, and then behind it is the actual small structure, and then the inside is still very beautiful. So the outside is worn, but the inside, those beautiful stones, again, St. Thomas Church in Mosul, Iraq, is still alive and functioning, and they trace their heritage all the way back to the first, uh, first century. Now, when we look at this in the 1500s, the Portuguese missionaries found many St. Thomas Christians and churches. So basically from the time of Thomas until the 1500s, basically no one reached those areas uh, between St. Thomas and the Portuguese missionaries who went out to do all the different things and of course also to share the gospel and establish churches there are many legends about this. Even they were very surprised. They thought they were going to a completely unreached area where they had never heard the gospel, but then they would find people calling themselves St. Thomas Christians. Even they would go over mountains and think they were reaching completely uneducated people, and then they would find a St. Thomas Cathedral sitting right there. Now also, along with bringing the gospel and reaching more people, this did begin some conflict. So for those 1,500 years, the St. Thomas Christians were basically free. They were un untethered to anyone else, whether Rome or any other group. So they were free to worship as they pleased, of course, uh, with other local religious conflict and contacts. But when the Portuguese came, they wanted to subject them and make them follow the Pope and follow other Catholic traditions. So this led to quite a bit of conflict. And of course, other groups now send missionaries. So there are some that still follow the St. Thomas traditions. But many others have become Protestants or Catholics or any other different types of things. So when we look at the teachings and the life of, uh, of Thomas, we see that there are several themes that really pop out about what he taught and his legacy. The first thing I want to talk about is what's called the St. Thomas Cross. There's a specific cross that's popular all over India. And again, they trace their heritage all the way back to, to the Apostle Thomas. So one of the biggest things that relates to this cross is that he said, From death comes new life in Christ 
through the Holy Spirit. So this is why the St. Thomas cross, it looks similar to any other cross you would see, but at the end, it flowers. It becomes a lotus flower so that the cross, which symbolized death, broke forth into new life which is these beautiful flowers and it always has the on top the a, a dove to represent the holy spirit so here are some examples of saint thomas crosses so of course it can be simple or it can be ornate so here are a couple drawings and a couple actual physical saint thomas crosses that have existed for a very long time so again when i look at this quote about death to new life, that makes me think of one of my favorite uh, passages in the entire Bible, which is Galatians 2.20, where Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in and through me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So again, it's a wonderful thing that the through death, our repentance, our dying to our sin, we have new life in Christ when the Holy Spirit comes into us. Another thing that we see through the life of Thomas is don't retreat and don't look back. The reason he was able to make it all the way to India is because he never backtracked. He never went to places that had already been reached. He kept moving forward, looking forward, going to newer and more places with the gospel, and he never looked back. And this is also why we don't have much of his writings, because he never wrote, or at least we don't have any records of things that he wrote to the churches that he had already planted. And we see that he didn't look back even until the end. Now, I want to tell you the legends of his death. Supposedly, he made it to Chennai, uh, and he was martyred on a hill or a small mountain in that city. Now, the legend goes that he was, he was uh, killed with a spear while on that mountain. But this was the first time that he was ever able to look west, to look back, and God gave him this time where he was able to be on the mountain and look back over all the land that he had that he had gone through and was able to share the gospel. Now again, there are some uh, strange, miraculous legends where he ran up the mountain even in his 70s and outran the soldiers and was able to stop and pray and thank God looking back. But whether that is true or not, it's very historical that he died on that mountain looking back and praying and thanking God for all that God was able to do through him. Now, when I think about this principle, I think about what Paul wrote in Philippians 3, where he says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So again, in our life, no matter what difficulties we face, no matter what roadblocks, no matter what happened in the past, we need to go forward and do what God has called us to do and make progress and move forward. Now, one of the bad themes that we see in the life of Thomas is misrepresentation. We see this in the beginning and the end throughout his life. He was misrepresented. Now, we've already talked about that his life was full of faith not doubt. So no one should call him the, the, the doubting Thomas. He should be faithful Tom because he, he did so much even during Jesus' life and so, so much afterward. He is full of faith, not doubt. And yet most people misremember him. And what's even uh, stronger and stranger, even after his death, 
he was misrepresented in something called the Gospel of Thomas. Now, these were written by Gnostics who accepted some aspects of Christianity, but rejected some of the most important things. And they formed a new branch and yet called themselves the Gnostic Christians. Now, this the, the Gospel of Thomas was written by them about 150 years after the death of of Thomas, and there are many things in the Gospel of Thomas that do not agree with Scripture. Now, why did they call it this? There, we don't absolutely know for sure, but what I believe is that they falsely used Thomas' name because they knew that he was important, that he did great things for God and reached many people, but his beliefs were not clearly written down or known to the people. So they figured that he is important. But we don't know enough about him that we can falsely give this new thing his name and present it as truth. So again, when we look at the entire life of Thomas, I want to share five takeaways that we can put into practice in our life. First is that it's okay to ask questions. Again, when we seek truth, we find God. So don't stop asking questions. Seek truth Find and find God and just learn and grow and be closer to him. Next is don't believe everything you hear about someone. So even though Thomas is called the doubter, when we look at the evidence, we see something completely different. So even if you hear something bad about someone, maybe you should do some more investigation, meet them. Don't make up your mind until you talk to that person and then actually find out for yourself whether certain things are true or not. Third, Write things down. Don't leave any ambiguity. Don't leave any questions. Write the things down that are important to you. Tell the people around you that you love them, that you appreciate them. Write down the things you teach, the things you believe, so that even future generations don't have to wonder or doubt. They have the evidence right in front of them that makes it clear. As we keep going, that it's good to move forward with what God has called you to do, even unto death. Again, Thomas' first recorded phrase in the Bible is that we might as well go and die with Jesus. So again, we need to do whatever God has called us, do ministry, share the gospel, help those in need, move forward with what you know that God has called you to do regardless of the consequences. And finally, from those two great phrases, we need to believe and follow Jesus Christ as Lord and God, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. I hope you learned and were blessed by hearing about the faithfulness of Thomas's life. And again, if you ever have any questions or thoughts, please write me, let me know. And if you'd like to hear more about how to put your faith into practice, I hope you'll look at our other videos and like, subscribe, and follow this page. God bless.